Hi, this is Samir Padora. I'm an architect with a design and research practice based out of Mumbai. As a studio, we've been working on projects at various uh, geographical locations within the country. But on this podcast, I'm specifically going to be talking about two uh, rural projects that we've done. One of the reasons for picking these projects is that they have been fairly well documented and quite extensively published. Should any of you listeners like to look at pictures and drawings of these buildings or even visit them? The other reason for picking these projects is that, for me, they exemplify an interest uh, that the studio has in the act or the process of making, uh, disconnected in some sense from the fetish typically associated with craft and its application within building. The two projects are Jaipan, which is a community center, and the Maya Somaya Library, which is an addition to an existing school campus. Both these projects lie around six hours drive north from Mumbai. They are located within 20 kilometers of each other and sit on challenging sites. Jetwan is located within a grove of existing trees, while the library sits in a slightly awkward leftover space between existing school buildings and a diagonally truncated site edge. The footprints of the two buildings are relatively thin and linear as a response to their respective site constraints. But formally, this is where their similarities end. I am now going to talk about the projects individually and then at the end, try and tie back into their commonalities. We designed the library with a view that children would be the final users of the building. And starting with the idea that children naturally almost have an affinity towards landscape uh, over, let's say, a building, we imagined that the library building could be a formal extension of the ground plane, a place inside for children to study and a place outside and above for children to play. The, the site for the library lies at the intersection of a student's daily routine, moving between classrooms to playgrounds. And this library became a pavilion accessed from multiple sites with students engaging with books while moving through the building, around the building, or over the building. With the limited teaching resources available in the larger vicinity, we needed the library to have an inspiring spatial presence and experience, to become almost a magnet to attract students and hopefully other residents from nearby after school hours. On our first visit to the site, it was interesting to see existing geodesic structures built by an engineer for a few of the school programs. We were in some sense encouraged by this to pursue a project that followed from a construction intelligence. To achieve this formal extension of the ground plane, we passed through several possible material configurations ranging from concrete shells to brick walls to find what would be the most efficient way to build this architectural landscape. We were simultaneously looking at the material efficiencies of the Catalan tile vault from the 16th century. It's used by Gustavino in the early 19th century for building the subways in New York City. And finally, the incredible details from the work of Eladio Dieste from the mid 20th century. While working with the specific site condition, we used uh, software, RhinoVolt, 
uh, developed by the block research group at the ETH to articulate a pure compression form for the project. The vault is built out of three layers of brick tile, each laid with their joints perpendicular to the other to the adjacent layer. The span of the eventual structure was to be 150 feet in length, 25 feet in width, and to uh, four and a half inches in thickness. Before we actually began constructing the final project, we did a series of mock-ups uh, of about 10 feet by 10 feet where we were examining uh, and testing the construction for its load-bearing capacity. Various samples of sandwich brick tiles were also tested. The biggest challenge that we faced in making the project, however, was the prohibitive cost of the formwork that we needed to build the profile of the world. To overcome this, what we ended up doing was using reinforcement bars placed every nine inches to create the form of the world, and then building the first layer of uh, brick or laying the first layer of brick tile over the reinforcement bar cage. Once the first layer of brick tile was in place, then that became the formwork to take the load of the two other layers of brick tile that went over it. Once all three layers were complete, we eventually removed the rebar, the reinforcement bar shuttering from the bottom, allowing the vault to then take its final form under compression. Since the vault touches the ground at five places, it acts creates a cavernous interior with five massive arch-like edges that are open to the surrounding context. These five arches are fitted out with uh, window panels that are styrated in plan to allow for us to use thinner sections and yet achieve uh, the rigidity that we actually need for these openings. The lower half of the opening is made of glass uh, and the upper half is actually constructed out of a thin stainless steel mesh which allows for air to circulate through the pavilion. The interior of the library has shelving that's positioned right in the middle of the building and has reading areas that are uh, on both sides. Some of the reading areas in the towards the periphery where the bolt actually hits the foundation there is a low seating which has uh, stools made out of kota and a low table where students can sit around and read. Within the interior, all of the light fixtures, electrical points, fans are either built into the central library stacks or along the periphery uh, of the world. This project makes a case to strongly re-examine the age-old binaries of the global and local as being in opposition. The regional or the local within the South Asian paradigm typically manifests within very strict formal constraints of what the style is in memory. This is often at the expense of material efficiencies. Our effort to search for a material and construction efficiency in brick tile look to leverage the networks of knowledge that our practices are situated in, allowing us to enrich the regional or local through the extended capacities of the global. In using principles ranging from the Catalan tile vaulting system to the compression ring detail from the work of Eladio Dieste in Uruguay to using a form-finding software plugin made in Switzerland, the library is a resultant of not only lessons uh, learned from various geographic locations, but also various lessons learned through time. The Jetwan project came out of a chance meeting with the Buddhist teacher Bhante Dhammadipa who was visiting the site while a team from our studio was also around doing a site visit for the Maya Sumaya library. 
Bhante Dhammadipa was at that point in the process of conceptualizing a center that would cater to the all-round development of the resident community. The land for the project was contributed by the neighboring Kodavri Biorefineries Factory, a flagship company of the Somaya Group. The project itself was built using funds raised from donors in India and abroad. The half-acre site had over 40 trees on it and was covered by the tree's dense foliage. When Bhante Dhammadipa shared his initial plans for the project, we quickly realized that this would require a substantial amount of change in the existing landscape. In fact, the first time that Samir Somaya, the chairman of the Somaya Group, saw the site, he offered to relocate the project on another piece of land because he thought it would be impossible to build on the site without substantially impacting the existing tree coverage. We reassured Samir that in incorporating Bhante Dhammadipa's program for the project, we would not harm a single tree on site and on the contrary augment the landscape through our intervention. The residents of the community around our site in Sakharwadi were Buddhists, followers of Dr. Ambedkar. Bhante Dhammadipa felt that they must be educated in what the basic principles of Buddhist thought were and academically this fit in well with what the KJ Somaya Center of Studies wanted to do as an outreach project. More importantly, it also tied back into the values of Sri K.J. Somaya, who wanted to create a society which was inclusive and imbibed members of society that Hinduism had earlier denied development opportunities to. So the project, as per the client brief, was to be a center for academics, vocational studies, health and spirituality to all members of the community. As it evolved, the Institute was programmed as a spiritual and skill development center for the Baud Ambedkar community with the mandate to provide a spiritual anchor for their practice of Buddhist thought through meditation and yoga while also imparting training and skill development for members of the community. In Buddhist mythology, Jetvan is the name of one of the Buddha's most important spatial edifices, which when literally translated means the grove of Jeta, a land donated to the Buddhist Sangha for founding a monastery. It was of semiotic significance that the site that we were working on for the Buddhist learning center was thickly forested, an idyllic grove of sorts. We began planning the project with the mandate of not harming a single tree on site. So to do that, we split up the sizable program into six separate buildings, each situated in the gaps between the heavy planting. Through the design process, two courtyards emerged as links tutoring these buildings into a common identity. We interacted with the local community in meetings and discussed these plans lined out on the site to create a greater connection between the inside of the space and the surrounding landscape. We developed an inverted roof section that would allow people to look at the foliage of the trees even while they sat within the spaces this structural idea manifests almost transparently with each component of the structure being completely apparent. The section through the building reveals a central U-shaped beam also acting as a gutter and being supported at either end on two load-bearing brick piers. The wooden roof valleys down in the middle on the central beam and rises up to the edges of each space creating a wind butterfly roof profile. This separation of the roof from the edge walls, while providing much needed cross ventilation, 
also scales the building towards the courtyard such that the courtyard appears to feel like an outdoor room. Our initial ideas for the materiality of the project involved building the walls for Jetwan in Ramdurth. For this, we brought in Hunarshala as collaborators on the project. However, our initial tests of Ramdurth blocks and their load-bearing capacities proved to be unsuccessful in that they, that they required too large an amount of cement to stabilize. We then worked with Kiran Bhai and his team to quickly reimagine the material ecology for the project. We ended up using stone dust which was available in bulk at a nearby basalt stone quarry as a waste byproduct. This we combined with the factory fly ash waste to build walls of ram stone dust. The entire roof was built using recycled wood from shipbreaking yards in Anang, the underside of which was clad in mud-dried rolls to act as insulation. And finally, the roof was stopped with repurposed Mangalore tiles to complete the section. Our approach to the Jetwan project looks to extend the idea of the regional paradigm while separating it from the pervasive image of what typically defines the local. The construction process also sets out an approach that looks to further construction techniques based on local materiality, but not necessarily used in the way that it was used earlier, but yet appropriate for its context. Both these projects discussed earlier are formally distinct from each other. While Jethwan's form is a subset of the building's response to the landscape that it sits in, the library's form is a derivation of the aspiration and imagination of how the building can turn into a landscape. Besides their reference to landscape as a layer to evolve the final building, both projects are a commentary on the network nature of the world we inhabit, where knowledge is no longer locked into geographies, where knowledge networks enable us to project futures for traditional materials and techniques, not with the view of the original's preservation, but rather in the hope of its evolution. These two projects, as examples of materials and processes, also look to challenge the nostalgia associated with craft and tradition, as well as the nature of what today comprises the criticality of the new regional paradigm. One of the key tenets of regionalism is the idea of context. And for us to move towards a new regional paradigm, we need to maybe also think about what context means in today's time. If context is about the circumstances that form the setting for an idea, a process, or a building and their relational dynamics, we have to ask that in our increasingly networked world, what really remains uncontextual? Perhaps we might be better served by shifting our gaze from mere physical or geographical proximity as context to a value basis for prescribing what we would consider as context for projects. What it implies is a value basis to peruse, sieve through, and finally select what our context needs to be. A method perhaps to design the framework of context before we design a project. There are obviously many components to what might define context. Site, material, labor, climate, amongst many others. Climate, for instance, is one of the strongest influences in the evolution of what we recognize as the local or regional type. However, ongoing climate change is starting to show us the need for even these regional types to be able to adapt to this flux. So in the case of climate, architecture perhaps needs to anticipate this coming environmental context. We live in a world with fast depleting resources. 
So as far as material goes, to be able to build with a particular material in the way that we built 200 years ago might not be the most efficient use of the resources we have. Our attitude to material hence needs to consider frugality as an important component. Using processes, techniques to do more with less. Material context is important, but if not articulated within the efficiencies that tools and new knowledge bring, it becomes wasteful and indulgent. Further linked to this point is the issue of craft and its labor. It could be argued that practices operating within the regional or local paradigm have relegated the craftsman to practice his craft in a temporally sealed environment, despite the obvious availability and potential access to new technology and knowledge systems. Too much value has been attached to adherence of dated and native methods of craft and its labor, which in turn has resulted in the museumification of craft and the perpetuation of class structures. It has isolated craft from its traditional place in daily life to being a museumified idea produced for consumption by the rich or those with the means to afford it. This nature of craft and its role in architectural production has meant that its presence remains marginal without the means to produce at scale. A way forward to perhaps examine the production of architecture through the labor of craft is in the way Richard Sennett talks about craft as being a function also of its time. Hence the notion of craft and construction, one of the central tenets of regionalism and its context, itself needs to be recontextualized. For this new regional 2.0 to be seen as little more than the other, its presence only acknowledged in opposition to the architectural mainstream. We need to once again re-examine its criticality, not just through its service of the architectural type, but through its use to society at large. Thank you.